Good to see you all. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11. And let me just kind of uh, help us remember our context here. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Shane uh, introduced to us at the, the end of chapter 4 and beginning of, of chapter 5, where yeah, the story of Barnabas sort of contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira and this generous man with these two greedy individuals and their deceit and their sin. And the Bible says, uh, Luke records, actually, they, they lied to God that they were being instruments of Satan and God judges them. And right in the middle of a church service, they both die, which, you know, you can imagine that would put a damper on things, right? So they, th- th- this happens, and this is, this is in the background here. I want to make sure you, you understand that when we go in today. Let me say something really basic about your Bibles in case you don't know this. I don't want to assume that everybody knows this. Your, your Bibles weren't written with verses in them. Do we all know that? Or if you don't, good, you should know that. They didn't have verse 1, 2, 3, 4. Those were put in centuries after the Bible was finished, and they were done, they were done for, for the purpose of the God guys like me could say, turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 11, right? Otherwise, we'd be like, okay, there's this book called Acts, find it, and now we're going to kind of be in this front section of it or something trying to find it, right? So it makes it very simple. But the other things that translators did is they took that and they they started creating, uh, if you will, sort of th- uh, uh, thought units, and, and that's where we get paragraphs, right? There were no paragraphs in ancient Greek or in ancient Hebrew. They were just line for line for line for line. It all just sort of blended all together. Well, they do that to be helpful to us, and it is very helpful to us. One of the dangers that isn't the problem of that, but one of the dangers is that we will somehow think Think of one story as being, okay, that story's over, and now let's go to the new story. Okay, that one's over, let's go to this story, right? So, so we have this tendency to believe that maybe what the writers of the Gospels did is just sort of create this patchwork of stories. They really don't interrelate with one another, but they do, right? So, so here's what you need to understand. Context is so crucially important that we don't get to something and go, this just sort of stands on its own. We want to see how it relates to what goes before, how, what, what comes after, etc. So this is really a crucial part as we try to wrestle with and understand our Bible. So that's, that's true today. And this is why I want to start where Shane ended at verse 11 of chapter five, and we'll begin reading there. We're going to get all the way through chapter five. So bear with me. There's going to be some reading here here, but we'll just start off with the first um, six verses. Chapter 5, verse 11, okay? says this, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things, of Ananias and Sapphira dying. Now, many signs and wonders, verse 12, were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried the sick out in the street and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, Again, let's make sure what's happened before. Ananias and Sapphira had happened before. And now we see this description of what's now happening in the church. But there's, there's a couple of questions that come out of this passage, at least for me, that make me go, man, why? Why here? Why now? Because, because Luke records, in my opinion, something astonishing in verse 14. 
Okay, look at it again with me. Chapter five, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So I wanna start there. Why now? Why more than ever are being added multitudes of both men and women? Do you understand how amazing it is that that right there is recorded? And here's why. Let's do a little um, quick uh, review. Go back to chapter one, okay? Just watch this. Chapter one, verse 15. Okay, we start off the book of Acts. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120. Okay, so we, everybody just follow. Let's do some math here together. We've got 120 people right now, Okay. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost comes, the spirit is poured out and, and that it was promised by the Old Testament. And so Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up. He preaches really the first evangelistic sermon. He talks to people about their need. And at the end of that sermon, chapter two, verse 41, it says, those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, right? Amazing, right? So the church just grew, boom by, by 3,000 people, 3,120 as of this point right now. Okay. Maybe we could say that now go down to verse 47, chapter two, and the Lord added to their number day by day. So now every single day, there is one, two, three, five. We don't know people being added to their number every single day. You get to the end of chapter three and you've got the, 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 um, uh, the lame man being healed and the people gather, they run, like what in the world just happened? This guy's been this way since he was a baby and now he's 40 years old and we see him healed. This incredible Peter goes, great opportunity to preach to people. He preaches and look what happens in chapter four and verse four. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000 people. Now, again, I think I told you when we got to that, I don't know what this means. I don't know if that means we're at 3,120 plus the day by day. I don't know what, where we are really, but then 5,000 men, is that 5,000 more? Is that 5,000 total? So wherever, whatever way you slice it, right? If it's 5,000 just men added to 3,000, that's 8,000 plus their wives and children. We're at a church of 12, 15,000. I mean, I, this is massive, right? The, the, the outpouring, the thing, I don't want this to be all about numbers. I want you to hear me. It makes what he says in chapter five, incredible. Chapter five, verse 14, look at it. And more than ever believers were added. Like, are you kidding me? Like they've seen thousands of people converted at one time. How is this happening? And notice he says, more than ever believers were added to the Lord. Okay, this is not more than ever people started going to First Church of Jerusalem. More than ever, there were cultural Christians who kind of liked to hear what they heard. More than ever, the new cool church across town opened up and people decided to go there versus another place. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. These are genuine conversions. This is people repenting of sin, putting their faith in Christ. This is Colossians chapter one, that they were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, this is what's happening in an unparalleled way so that Luke can say more than ever, this has never happened. Now, why? Like what is happening at this time in the church? Why is this harvest so large that even Luke can record they've never seen anything like this? That's what he's saying. 
This is where context is so important. What's happening? What has happened? Like this comes right on the heels by no coincidence in the story of Ananias and Sapphira being judged. And so let me show you two things. I think Luke wants, to, wants us to see some very clear connections. And the first thing, I think, in the answer to why now, why were there more believers than ever, is simply this. This church, they took sin seriously. Sin was very real. See, now, you're going to notice something. If I, if I could pull the book of Acts, right? One of our problems with reading Scripture, for some of us, is we've read it too much. If I could pull it out and hand it to you and you just read it, you'd probably be like, well, first of all, it's amazing. Listen to what's happening. And you'd be constantly probably looking at it going, oh, huh, I wonder if this episode, I wonder if this story that I'm being told now, I wonder if this is the thing that will stop it. I wonder if this is where they will falter. If this is where everything goes off the rails. Is this the point or is it this or is this? I mean, all through the book of Acts, trials, temptations, persecutions, all these things. And this is no exception. But it is no coincidence that Luke tells us that right on the heels of Ananias and Sapphira, more people are being added to the Lord. So this is not a coincidence that the greatest fruit comes after some of the, what do we say? Hardest trials, biggest temptations. So this is a pattern, by the way, in Acts. They, there's a trial, there's a test. Will they pass it? Oh, they pass it. Good. And then you see God blesses. God just pours out his spirit one more time. So what, 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 what's the point? See, it is so tempting. Think about if, if like, let, let's just put it in church context. Think about if God is just steamrolling in the church. I mean, it is just growing by leaps and bounds. And oh my gosh, look at the great things. People are getting saved and baptized. Lives are changed. I mean, marriage is healed. All these wonderful things are happening. What is the temptation? Sin pops up. And man, it's so tempting to look the other way. It's so tempting to go, let's pretend we didn't see that because if we confront it, that could turn a lot of people away. We might start hearing things like this. How can you be so judgmental? Like, like you're a church, you're Christians. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to be people of grace and mercy. You, you, you're, you're not supposed to like hit that stuff head on. Like that, that, that's, that the church is for people like that, to which we'd say, yes, it is. And yet you see here, they confront their sin. We, we, we have this temptation that we're gonna leave it alone. We have this temptation to listen to the voices that would tell us that we're angry and judgmental and hateful and all these sort of th things because we have to confront sin. See, hear me, if you want to shut off the flow of God's grace, if I can say it this way, in your own life, or if we want to do it in the life of the church, let me tell you a surefire way to make that happen. Just make friends with the sin that the cross was meant to kill. Just turn the other way and tolerate it. Now, now please I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about here, okay? 
Every person in this room sinned, probably today, right? So what does that mean? Everybody kicked out. No, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what you'll see in Scripture. You'll see in Scripture when sin is open, it's continuous, and it's unrepentant, right? Now, those, those, all three of those are key. It's open. You know it. Like, you know, if, I, if Ike looks at me and says, Chris, your problem is you're prideful. Okay, he might be right, but he might be wrong. He can't look, right? He can't look, but he, he does know if he sees me stealing money, I uh, saw that, right? That's open now. Open, continuous. That is, it's not this one-time event. It's like, no, this keeps going. And then unrepentant. Hey, I've done it. I know I've done it. Hey, I'm a Christian. I can keep doing it. This is the kind of sin the, the Bible's gonna say, you better confront this. You better take this seriously. First Corinthians chapter five, there's a story that, that, that we, we read about. Paul is writing to a real church, to real people, and it gets real personal real quick. He says to them this. He says, he says there's the, it's reported, it's actually reported among you that there is a kind of sexual immorality in your midst. And he said, he goes on to say, and, and a kind that isn't even tolerated by the pagans, those outside the church, those who are not Christians. You tolerate it. And then he tells us what the sin is. He says, for a man, listen to this, a man has his father's wife. Ooh, right? That might be as creepy as it sounds, but whatever it is, it's wrong. And here's what's really wrong about it. He says, and you're arrogant. You know what it looks like to be arrogant in the face of that kind of open, continuous, unrepentant sin? What does it mean? I'm arrogant. It means you brag about it. You, 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 you want the sign in the church to say, hey, we, we don't judge. Come to us. We, 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 you know, whatever, we're, we're, we'll affirm your, your, your sin. We're, we're not gonna ever push back on that. It's okay. And he says, Paul goes on to say, shouldn't you rather be mourning? Like this should be making you weep. That there is, open, continuous, unrepentant sin. You ought to be weeping over this. This ought to be breaking your heart as this is happening, that people are running headlong into sin. See, this is what's happening. How many churches, how many people are willing to do this, are willing to confront the sin, to stand up, that we don't, we're, we're more concerned about pleasing God than we are pleasing the culture, about making ourselves popular. See, Acts takes the sin seriously. Why? Because sin is like, Paul's gonna say, 1 Corinthians chapter five, he says, you know, you don't understand. Don't you understand that a little leaven, a little yeast, like permeates the entire dough? You let this go unchecked. You let this open, continuous, unrepentant sin go unchecked and it will kill the church. It'll infect the entire church. Listen to me. Show me a church that tolerates that kind of sin and I will show you a church that I promise you will be dead by the next generation. And I can prove this to you. Like just take a stroll through any old city in America or Europe. 
Church, 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 church. I mean, every corner. Go to Boston, go to New York, go to one of these places. You see churches everywhere and 99% of them are hipster coffee shops. Lofts for people to live in, antique stores. Why aren't they churches? Because they got to a place that said it doesn't matter. Sin is no longer sin. We don't have to confront this. We're not going to. Because we want the culture to love us. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a death sentence. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an avenue for God's blessing. They took sin seriously. But the second thing is they understood the need for the Holy Spirit. Now, before we read any further, go back to chapter four and just look at this. Remember, in chapter four, they're thrown in prison. Peter talks in front of this council. And, uh, and then at the very end, they get back together with all the other believers. They run, they say, guys, let's pray. They hold a prayer meeting. And that's what we get at the end of chapter four. They're in the middle of this prayer meeting. And in chapter four, verse 30, one of the things they pray for is that God would stretch out his hand to heal and signs and wonders would be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Man, every word of that practically is important. Stretch out your hand to heal. Do signs and wonders. Do it all for the glory of Christ. And they pray this way, right? They prayed for signs and wonders. Keep this in mind. Lord, send signs and wonders. They understood they were not up against something that programming could fix. That somehow if we just had the right worship team and a good preacher or whatever, and we had, you know, different teams that could serve and all that, then somehow that'll save everybody. Never. They were desperately in need of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens? They prayed, and in chapter five, there's the answer. Signs and wonders, verse 12, are being done. And then look what happens. None of the rest dare join them. There's kind of an awe, fear, and the people held them in high esteem and more than ever believers. See, see what I'm saying? You see this connection? And then he goes on to talk about Peter. Peter walked by, shadow, heals people. People are being brought in, heals them all. They're seeing these signs. Here's what Luke wants you to see. Do you see the connection between signs and wonders and saving faith? That's the idea that one of the things God uses for the glory of Christ is signs and wonders being done in such a way, miracles being done in such a way, people being healed in such a way that it points to Jesus and it causes, it, it, it's one of those things God uses to overcome disbelief. And so it happens, right? And this happens, by the way, all the time. Pentecost, 3,000 people. Lame man healed, 5,000 people. Luke chapter nine, you've got, you've got this story where Peter heals somebody named Aeneas and Luke records that after he healed him, he says, all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Luke chapter nine, verse 42, it says that, that, uh, that, that Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. Of course, this gets around, chapter nine, verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Do you see this? So, so there, there's this connection that they don't want you to miss. What's happening? That miracles, that signs and wonders are one means that God uses to bring people to faith. We ought to pray for this. Now you'd say, wait a second. No, I'm not sure we should, Chris. Because doesn't Jesus say only a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign? Oh, you know, he does. So what do we do with that? Is all seeking of signs and wonders evil, wicked, adulterous? Well, apparently not. 
Because if so, then I don't know what to make of Acts chapter 4, verse 30 when they pray for this. We're praying for signs and wonders. We're praying for healing. So I think what's happening when Christ rebukes the Pharisees and others in Matthew, when he says this wicked and adult generation seeks for a sign and none will be given except the sign of Jonah, that is my resurrection from the dead. That's what I ought to believe you. He's saying this. He's saying, he's saying you're, you're being rebuked. I'm telling you not to do that because what he sees is that they're seeking for signs and wonders. They're using signs and wonders to simply conceal in their hearts an unwillingness to believe. I don't want to believe. So I know a surefire way out of it, right? I mean, you hear Bill Maher, right? Or whoever talking about, this is ridiculous. It's stupid. Like, look, then fine, just do a sign and I'll believe. You don't want to believe. You have no desire. That is you taking shelter behind something and saying, if God doesn't do this for me right now, the way I demanded, then I won't believe. Well, then you'll never believe. He says, that's what a wicked and adulterous generation does. But, but, but hear me now. So I think we should pray for signs and wonders. We should pray that God would do miracles. We should pray. Why? But, 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 but hear me. I, I want to make this very, very clear. For those of you who are all excited about that, right? <laughs> hear me. Signs and wonders and miracles don't save anybody. Signs and wonders and miracles don't transform the human heart. Signs and wonders are not the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. Jesus Christ is. What do we want people to believe in? Signs and wonders? No, we want them to believe in Jesus. But this is what we're after. So what are signs and wonders? All that signs and wonders are is they're meant to crack, if you will, peel back the hard shell of resistance, apathy, cynicism, where somebody can finally go, oh, now I'll hear, now I'll believe. That's how we should pray. God, crack that, like get, break through that. And we should pray like this. So somebody say, well, yeah, but I thought signs and wonders, all these miracles were limited to the early church. Well, the problem, the problem is the Bible just never says that, anything close to that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite one of my heroes of the faith was a pastor in London back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And he was a, a prolific writer and, and preacher. And he said this one time. He said, it is perfectly clear that the New Testament, in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders, and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. He goes on and he writes another book or he actually preached another series on revival, wonderful series. And in that series, he says this, what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God. He's talking about needed in his day and certainly in our day, some enactment of the almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen. That is why I'm urging you to pray for this. When God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. Isn't that true? that God can do more in a minute than decades of counseling could do for you. God could transform everything in a moment. 
This is why we need to see the power of God. This is why we should pray like this. God, send them. I don't know what that looks like. I gotta be honest with you, Chris. So what does it mean? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's an undeniable demonstration of the power of God. Let's say it that way. That might be to, to a man and a wife who hate each other and God in a moment does what 50 years of marital counseling couldn't do. It might mean that somebody has cancer and they're terminal and they're about to die and in a moment God heals them. Just an undeniable demonstration of the power of God. Don't you long for that? Okay, that's the first question. Why, why more believers than ever? That's why. Look what they're seeing. But now let's ask the second question. What gave them such courage in the face of hostility? Because this is what you're going to see now. Now we've already seen it, and so let me talk about it really briefly. You, we've seen them. They went to jail before. We're going to read about it here and again. But let me, let me say one of the reasons we've already been discussing, one of the reasons they would have such courage is because they experienced the supernatural presence of God, right? Wouldn't this be true of you and me that if we saw miracles, if we saw signs and wonders, it would be the sense of God is with us. There is this demonstration of the power of God. That's an encouraging thing, Right? That gives us, that instills us with courage. God, you're here. God, you're with us. I think this is one of the reasons they've seen this. But second of all, look at this. They had very clear direction from God. So now go back to chapter five and look at verse 17. Chapter five, verse 17. But the high priest, after all this, high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. These are kind of parties that don't normally get along and filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles, put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Stop right there. Okay, so they had really clear direction, didn't they, right? They're in prison. The angel shows up, opens the doors. Now here's what I want you to do. Go to the temple, preach. That's very clear, right? That would be awesome. And maybe this is a time, maybe this is happening. They'd already been told, you go out and you be my witnesses. They've been told this over and over and they need it again. Maybe it's like, man, it seems like every time we open our mouth, there's opposition. Every time we open our mouth, we're getting thrown in prison. How does this end? How in the world are we gonna do what you've called us to do? And the angel shows up and says, I'm gonna tell you, you guys hold it. You, you keep standing, you keep speaking. You just do what we ask you to do. They do it. Now, you think, okay, well, that's great for them. No angels ever come into my bedroom, right? Nobody ever done that for me. So how does that help me? Well, let me say it this way. What we lack in audible voices, what we lack in physical uh, presence, what we lack in angelic visitations, we have right here. Do you understand this? Now, let me tell you why this is so crazy that you and I have this. Do you, do, do, do you understand? Like the apostles had none of this. Like, like they, let, let me rephrase it. The book, the scroll of Isaiah is like this big around. So, hey, pull out Isaiah chapter 62. It's going to take me a minute, right? I got to go to the temple. I got to grab that out. I got to get permission. I got to unroll it to finally get where you want me to go. 
They had none of this. They didn't have the New Testament. They had, they had the Old Testament. It was hard to get to. All, all they, I mean, they had to commit massive parts of it to memory. They didn't have what we have. Do you know how crazy it is that right now you guys have 97 translations inside of a phone in your pocket? Right now, and what is it? It's the word of God to you, to me. This is amazing. Like if you want to hear the voice of God, read scripture. And if you want to hear it audibly, read it out loud. This is, honestly, this is the word, this is God's word. They didn't have this. So listen, he told us everything written in here is for my instruction and my benefit and my help and his glory and yours all for us, right? It's there for the taking. And so we're never going to be able to stand before God and say to him, you weren't clear enough. You didn't tell me. I didn't get the kind of direction that you gave the apostles. He's gonna say, are you kidding me? You 66 books that fit in your pocket. You could carry it anywhere. It was never a trouble. So this is them understanding, man, we've been given clear direction and so have we. But look at the next thing. They had the message of life. Did you you look at, see verse 20? Real carefully what what the angel says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What are they, what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. The gospel's words of life. The gospel is not condemnation. The gospel, the fullness of the gospel is that God delivers us from condemnation, that God rescues us, that God saves us. It's life that if you believe in it, you will have eternal life. If you reject it, you will have eternal condemnation. He goes, go and tell them these words of this life. Now notice what he says. Look at, because we could practically preach on every word of the angel here. Go and send in the temple. Speak to the people all the words of life. Speak words. (laughs) Sounds redundant, right? Speak words words of this life. This is what we need to hear. We have to open our mouths. We have to, right? We love, oh, you know, preach the gospel. And if absolutely necessary, use words. It's absolutely necessary. Nobody will hear the gospel without your words. Paul Romans chapter 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Someone's got to talk. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And just in case you think you're off the hook, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not sent. He says, how how beautiful are the feet of all of those who preach the good news. Anybody who has the good news of Jesus Christ is sent to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. But they've not obeyed the gospel for I says, Lord, who's believed what he's heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I have to talk. I got to open my mouth. Speak Words, but notice he doesn't just say speak words, he says speak all the words. Isn't that interesting to just put that little descriptor in there? Speak all of them, every word of life. In other words, don't truncate this thing, which we are so tempted to do, aren't we? 
Do you want to get to heaven? Yes, who doesn't? Do you want to not go to hell? Well, I don't want that. That's not the gospel. Speak all the words of life. Tell them the whole story. But I mean, if I were to go out on the street, I was, we were at a, we were at a, a, a banquet for crew last night. It was a wonderful ministry on, on campuses all across the nation, but there's a wonderful group here in the Pomona Valley, and they, they're at Cal Poly Pomona, University of Laverne, and other places, and they're just doing awesome work. But last night, they, they, they showed this video. It was really interesting, and, and at one point, they asked kind of people, what do you think about God? And of course, what do you think you, you would hear? If you had to describe God, what descriptors would you hear? You'd hear things like this, love, right? And that pretty much caps out what people think about God. God is love. That's it. That's all you got, right? What if somebody says, oh, you go to Foothill Church? Yeah. Pastor Chris, pastor there? Yeah. Tell me about him. Tall. <laughs> and that's all I got. He's tall. Right? Not much more to tell you about Pastor Chris, right? God is love. That's all I got. Now, now, now listen. Is it true? God is love. Absolutely. Is that the whole story? No. That's a truncated gospel. There's so much more to this. Tell them all the words. So you know what we did last week at Easter? We said all the words. What are all the words? God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response, right? God, you are accountable to God. God created you. He made you. You owe him your life and your existence, everything. You, you, you're supposed to be worshiping and adoring him and him be the center of your life, but you haven't. No man has. No man seeks for God. Nobody worships in the way. That's the man. We've sinned. And the wages of those sin is death. So, so God says, I'm going to send Christ and he sends Christ to, to be our righteous. I can't be righteous before God. I can't earn my way to heaven. So he, he sends him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, I might become the righteousness of God. So there's the way, there's the good news. There's the way out of this. And the response is all I have to do is not achieve, just believe. And what is believing? It's just saying, he's my righteous. I cannot make myself righteous. So I am going to, I'm going to look to Christ's righteousness as the thing that will make me, I'm going to renounce my own righteousness, my own attempts, and I'm going to look to Jesus Christ. That's all the words. That's got sin in there. That's got grace and redemption and love. That's got creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's got it all in there, right? This is the gospel. Go and preach them all the words of this life. Now, let's end with this. And this is going to scare some of you. I'm going to read the rest of chapter five. And I promise you, I have one point to make out of the rest of chapter five, all right? Because otherwise, this could be a long time. All right. Chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, the rest of it says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
And the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, he, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What an amazing story. Now, there's so many things we could talk about. They filled Jerusalem with their teaching. Amazing. We could talk about, we better obey God rather than man, right? This civil disobedience. There is an end to the authority of civil authorities in our lives. The day they tell us to compromise what we believe, the day they tell us, Pastor Chris, you cannot preach that. And I find it in my Bible is the day I go to jail rather than not do that. Like that's all true. But here's what blows my mind about the rest of this chapter is their courage. Where do they get this? Where do they get this courage? Because this is incredible. Right, you understand, like they are standing before people who just a few weeks prior had used all their influence, all their power to have Jesus murdered that in just one more chapter, a little more than one more chapter, we're gonna see they're gonna murder Stephen by stoning. These are not old, decrepit, angry, bitter, old religious men who got axes to grind. These are powerful people. This is standing before the United States Senate perhaps and giving an account and being able to say, we will obey God rather than men. Where do they get this? Where, where how in the world they're beaten? You understand this is not, I, I've, never, I've never been punched for my faith. I, I've, never, I've never been shoved for my faith. 
They were flogged. This is the idea. It's the 40, it's a 40 lashes minus one. They walked out of there bloody from head to toe, skin ripped off their back and legs and clicked their heels rejoicing. Now tell me, where does that come from? Chapter five, verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The Spirit of God. There it is again. See, maybe, Christian, this is our greatest need. That is, the heat of the cultures, the hostility builds, these kind of things that we need courage to endure when things get really difficult. Several of us were at a conference back in January um, and John Piper got up to speak the first night and <clears throat> he told a story about his own life. He said, he was recounting just a couple of months prior to that. He said, I think it was December 6th. He said, I had just finished my morning like run on the treadmill, 30 minutes. I came down as I did early in the morning. I made myself a cup of hot tea, put some sugar in it. I think he said like three packets of sweet and low or something like that. He said, I got down into my chair. I I was wearing my favorite sweater. Turned the light. I loved the light. The fire was on. He said, I loved everything about that morning. Like, it's just beautiful. And here I open my Bible and I'm just going to have this wonderful time of communion with Christ. And he says, and then my, my, my mind turned to a book that I was reading about the French resistance of Nazi Germany. He said, I remember the tortures. I remember the things that they would do to those who were disloyal, how when the prison camps got full, they would, they would march 50 people outside, just shoot them dead, and then fill it with 50 more. Or he said, the tortures, they would take them, they would put them in vats of ice water, and they would dunk them under the water until they couldn't breathe, and they had to take a breath in, and they breathed in that ice, freezing cold water, and it actually killed somebody. It gave pneumonia. It ruined some people's lives. They're, they're, they were never the same again. Their bodies were broken because of it. But he said, for some reason, my mind turned from that and he called it to my exquisite comfort here in my living room. And I thought, what if instead of the French resistance, what if that was me? And all I had to do to get back to my hot cup of tea and my warm chair and my nice sweater and the fireplace and this beautiful family and this wonderful moment, all I had to do was deny Christ. All I had to do is say, I won't talk about it anymore. Would I do it? Would you? Corey Tenboom, some of you know her name. She was a Christian. She and her family lived in Holland during World War II. She wrote a very famous book called The Hiding Place. She was a survivor out of a, a Nazi concentration camp and um, she lost her father. She lost her sister in the concentration camp. But she was at a conference one time and she said, she, she told this story. She said, I, 
I remember when I was a little girl, I was worried and, and there was some, something going, I think she was dreaming about it. And she finally went to her dad, her dad's name was Casper. And she said, she said, daddy, I'm worried that if it ever comes to it, um, I, I wouldn't have the strength to be a martyr for Christ. <laughs> and Casper, her father said this, he said, Corey, tell me, when, when we take the train from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for your ticket? Do I give it to you three weeks before or a few days before? And she said, no, daddy, you, you give me the money right before we get on the train. And then he said this to her. He said, that's right, Corey. And so it is with God's strength. Our wise Father in heaven knows when you're going to need things too. Today, you don't need strength to be a martyr. But as soon as you're called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. And she went on to say this, I took great comfort from my father's advice. Later, I had to suffer for Jesus in a Nazi concentration camp. He did indeed give me all the courage and power I needed. And then it, she opened her Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4 and she read these words. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Will you be able to stand? Will you be able to endure? You don't need that today. You don't need the, the ability to endure cancer right now, some of you. You don't need the ability to endure the hardship at work. You don't need the endure to lose that child right now. You don't need it, but someday you will. And God, by his Holy Spirit, if you are his child, will show up just in time and give you all the strength that you need. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the Spirit of God that empowers us to live the Christian life. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we would be people in our own lives and the lives of Foothill Church where we would see an outpouring of your spirit because God, we're, we're not gonna capitulate where it comes to, to, to sin. And God, we're, we wanna look and rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that in our own lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we'd have courage. I pray for junior hires and high schoolers for courage in school. I pray for college students in the midst of hostility and professors and others to give them courage, God. I pray for moms and dads, courage with children. Lord, we need courage even as we go out in the culture and Lord, we, we, we hear things. There's, a, there's a, a hatred, an animosity, a vitriol that seems to be brewing. But God, I thank you that where it seems like how in the world can we ever withstand this, that you have given us your Holy Spirit and you will strengthen us in our day of need. Lord, we love you and thank you for that. I pray, Lord, for those who are here today that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, they, maybe they've, 
They put their hope in some sort of religious ritual. They put their, their hope in their own ability to earn your favor and your grace. Somehow you're obligated to forgive them. God, I pray, open their eyes to see the folly of that. That instead they would repent of their sin. They'd turn in faith to Jesus and they'd be saved. We love you, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.